In this episode, we are highlighting a featured alumni in the I Am Success Workbook Youth Companion Guide with Foster Care Experience, Mr. Eric Warner. Eric Warner first entered care when he was eight years old. After transitioning out of foster care, Eric found himself searching for a heightened purpose and familial connection that would come to him in a unique way. Through this time in his life, he refound his passion for, for and engaged in higher education and seeking his college degree. He has studied at an array of institutions, but now attends courses studying criminal justice in his pursuit for his BA. Eric has had the opportunity to be a public servant for child welfare in varying roles within organizations on a local, state, and federal level, with each providing more opportunity to enhance his skills and passion for advancing child welfare work and reforming the current structure and ideology of systemic change and implementation. Currently, consultation and collaborative implementation work will allow him the chance to commit his full areas of skill to bring about change needed to promote resilience, self-determination, and establish slash maintain sufficiency of services and standards for children and young adults in care. I'm excited for you all to dive into this conversation um, that myself and Eric Warner had. And, you know, make sure you're taking your notes, make sure you are thinking of other folks that have similar experiences. Maybe you are the one that has a similar experience. And I encourage you to reach out um, to each and every one of the guests that are on the podcast and, um, you know, give your flowers where you can. Um, It definitely is not easy to come up on any platform and share about your story. So just want to set the tone for that. That doesn't necessarily have to be entertaining, but this is a space for people to be authentic and to share their experiences for what they truly are without any confines or boxes. And for those that are listening to really hold space for that um, and do what they can on their part, not to just ingest the information, but really look to see in their lives how um, we can be better of service to individuals that have experienced a foster care system, um, that are black indigenous or people of color, that have experienced poverty, are from the LGBTQ community, um, and just just recognizing, you know, what ways can I support and what ways can I give back? So with that, um, I'm excited to share this conversation and um, really looking forward to hearing or reading your all thoughts. Hola! I would like to introduce you to my brother community, a policy reformist, a true change agent in child welfare on a state, national, and federal level who has had foster care experience. We met at an internship at a well-known foster care organization (laughs) in Oregon back in 2017, and he has been a part of several of my monumental life moments, including my wedding. I am very excited to have you here, Eric Warner, on the podcast today. Um, How are you feeling, Eric? I am feeling pretty phenomenal. It is Thursday, so, you know, the weekend is always a great thing to look forward to. And uh, your words are too kind. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, where are you tuning in from right now? 
I am residing on the West Coast, the hey. best coast uh, in Oregon right now. <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm just so excited to have you on here. Honestly, I think that you're going to bring such a incredible um, and really important perspective on uh, transitioning out of care, as well as just your own tidbits around your journey of healing and self-acceptance. So um, the first question that I have for you to just kind of dive in is um, thinking back at your foster care experience, the end, how did you uh, transition out? Was that through like adoption? Um, Did you age out? What did that really look like? Sure. So initially, uh, and I must start, uh, I was in foster care twice, uh, which um, is really weird to say, but uh, initially uh, I was eight years old, went into foster care for, you know, uh, a little bit of neglect. Uh, My mom was drunk driving and, you know, in the South, that is a habit. Uh, but unfortunately, this night she did get caught. Uh, I was put into the system, and uh, that was uh, ending in a reunification. But shortly after, um, there were incidences that occurred. My mom was not able to uh, take care of me due to failing health at that time, and so I needed to re-enter into the system. Um, I did have a dual case plan goal of reunification, but also APLA, which is uh, just another permanent planned living arrangement. Uh, It could be called something different for other states, but essentially that's a plan for those who may not necessarily have a plan for reunification or adoption. Uh, It's your transition plan to get you to adulthood. Um, That's where I was set to go. Uh, Unfortunately, more factors played into it where uh, my life needed to go in another direction. Um, So my father had passed away. Uh, I went to his funeral. And when I had come back, I was living in a group home at the time. And the workers had let the uh, other young people in that group home go through all of my materials and all of my belongings. Uh, including notes where I was writing to other guys saying, hey, I have a crush on you, this, that, and the other. And, you know, they found out I was gay. And uh, that led to a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of bullying. But at the end of the day, uh, that was my decision to leave foster care. Uh, I was no longer going to stick to my plan. I was no longer going to try to work it out and, and play nice and cutesy with everybody. Um, I had immediately called up my independent living provider and asked if there was any way that I could get on a one-way ticket out of Arkansas, which is where I was having my uh, experience, and moved to um, my family's house uh, where my father's family had passed away, father had passed away. And from there, uh, it was pretty easy. Uh, The whole process took about a week, and uh, they tried, they being the independent living providers and program, tried to keep me in the system um, and tried every situation and conversation that they could have. Uh, I was dead set and adamant this was the last time that I would ever be uh, engaged in foster care. So that was uh, the end of that, and I believe 2011, um, 18 years old, seems like a whole long lifetime ago, Um, but definitely a whole lifetime since. Yeah, I, man, I just feel like there was so much that was going on. And then being 18, like, what, 
what was going through your mind during that time as far as like a sense of self like how did you or were you feeling grounded um during all of those different aspects that happened right like with your mom and then with your dad and um being outed like that was not consensual so 100 percent. where were you no, at with it, that it, you hit the nail on the head as far as you know was i grounded i was 100 not i was <laughs> to yeah. uh steal a line from katie perry i was definitely a, a bag drifting through the wind without mm. any kind of stability to rely on uh in fact i didn't even know who i was at that time um so here i am you know 18 years old trying to navigate the foster care system i'm set to go to college it's all paid for uh, I have my independent living uh, housing situation all set and paid for. I'm on track to get a car paid for myself and everything. Uh, but the betrayal of trust uh, was too paramount for me. Um, that has been a, a key theme throughout my entire life is if I can't trust you, uh, there's a problem. And the problem will be dealt with in the sense that I will no longer be around in the situation because there's no sense in me trying to continue to engage in a losing battle. Um, so for me, uh, those trusted workers in the foster care system who um, I was supposed to keep my trust in, I was told continuously, respect your elders, respect those who have authority over you. Um, and I seen where that respect had gotten me with some people and it made me close off to everybody. And even in my pursuit to try and find stability with my family, uh, with my dad's side of the family, I still wasn't sure what exactly I was getting on that plane for. Was I getting on there to find a family or was I getting on there to escape from my current situation? Years later, in many truth conversations uh, later with myself, I realized that I was escaping the situation, but it was a necessity because I've always had a drive for my own personal freedom. And for me, I needed to be on my own and I needed to be able to, in a sense, fall flat on my face, even though I did have support in the sense of, you know, an offering of a home to be at um, family who, although they didn't necessarily know who I was, they were more than willing to embrace me for that time and then be able to give me what I was looking for. And so just a feeling of not knowing who I was, a lack of trust at that time, um, and already uh, that ongoing battle of depression, right? That's always that underlying current. Yeah. Whew. I feel like it's it's so many different layers there with you trying to ground yourself, trying to figure out who you are, trying to figure out what's next. And the piece that you were talking about with personal freedom, I can definitely relate to because, you know, my experience in foster care, I always felt like I was uh, in a cage in prison. I've written, written poems about things like that. And so I wonder with you, when was the first time that you felt a sense of personal freedom? And in, in those ways that you were saying um, multiple truths in conversation with yourself, what did that really look like for you to be able to get to that space? I remember it so distinctly and I was so young when I first understood what my own personal sense of freedom was. And 
I remember looking at somebody in my family that I was supposed to trust who um, was being abused. And unfortunately, in my uh, in my frail little six year old body, I was not able to assist in any way that would help. Uh, however, um, one thing that did allow me the ability to engage in those situations and move forward is that I had this deep innate sense within myself to know what was right, what was not, and what was right for me personally. Um, and I, I refer to that as my spirit. And I remember in this one instance, um, I was a witness to this abuse and it was as if time stood still. And it, it felt as though my spirit had jumped out of my body and was analyzing the situation. And I remember so clearly, internally, I heard, you cannot trust in this person to protect you, but you can trust in me. Listen to me and I will protect you. From then on, honey, it was a whole new world for me of understanding that I am my own unique, independent person. And although I may be born to a family, I have my own needs that they may not know how to address. And in order for those needs to be met, somebody has to know how to meet them. And who better than me? Because I'm the one with that need. But more so than that, I got connected again to a deeper and uh, some people may say higher purpose. Uh, but again, it, it was something I felt internal that was just bigger than my physical body or bigger than an emotional reaction or, or much more grander than a mental response. This was something that was bigger than myself and my situation and my circumstance that spoke something so clearly to me. From then, it, it would happen much throughout my life. Uh, I can uh, count many, many times where I felt that same uh, spark of inspiration. Uh, and, and personal freedom uh, at 13, 16, and so forth of just being in situations I knew that I needed to be the one that I could depend on to move throughout. And when you're talking about this sense of purpose, um, what really came to mind with that? Like as, as what is Eric's, Eric Warner's higher purpose or has it have you noticed that it has evolved over time? Um, what what has that really looked like? Great questions. You're really getting <laughs> me deep today. I appreciate it. Uh, no, it really has evolved through time. And I would say more so throughout my actions. My purpose really is to help people understand that self-love is more powerful than you will ever know. I know more about myself through my path and journey of self-love than I have ever learned through any of my counseling sessions. This is not a knock on counseling. I also seek counseling too. I just wanna put that out there. However, my journey of self-love has been the source of strength for me to get through many, many of the instances where I didn't know if I was gonna to see tomorrow. I didn't know if I even wanted to see tomorrow. And so being able to access that and share that with others and live that as my truth, not only do I want that to be my legacy, but I hope, <laughs> I pray that that is an example for others to follow because it truly has changed 
my outlook and how I embrace and engage with other people. Those who may be listening to this and who may know me may say, Eric, you're not very friendly to a lot of people. That may be true. I would just uh, come back to say that I do acknowledge that not everybody is meant to be in everybody's life at every single time. That does not give anybody the right to treat anybody disrespectfully, but that does mean that we have an opportunity to provide an example for those who may just be in our life for a brief moment. And so again, just coming back to uh, being that prime example at all points of my life and being uh, walking my truth and talking my truth as well. And I love that you were talking about how like there were moments in life where um, you didn't know if you even wanted to live to see the the next day and I definitely resonate that and I think many youth resonate with that and so in your healing journey what has been some of those um, I guess sparks or motivations or inspirations um, maybe even people key relationships that has shifted um, that for you right and this is where we go really deep into um into trauma. And I just want to put out there that my experience is not better nor worse than anybody else's out there. It is just unique and individual to myself. But there were many times where I was living a life filled with depression, suicidal ideation, um, emotional mismanagement is what I'll call it. But just not being able to understand that my body was evolving, my mind was evolving. I'm growing up, I'm getting older, I'm starting to put emphasis and priority on different and varying things that are going on in my life. And being able to see that there wasn't stability around me or a foundation that I was able to set foot on that could say, hey, you know, this is a safe place for you to come and seek help was a real barrier for me. Again, I grew up in Arkansas. I uh, am a country boy at heart, even though I love living in the cities. But being in the country and being in a rural area is very hard, especially when you're of color. And to add to that, I'm gay too. So, you know, there's just a margin, uh, a marginalized part of myself that continues to um, be abused, um, unprotected, and susceptible to the negativity that was around me at that time. And especially in the 90s, for those who may not understand, racism uh, was way more rampant uh, than um, we see now. And I, or at least in my experience, I would dare say that. And having friends at the time who would uh, say racist jokes to me, and I would accept that uh, is, a, is a great depiction of where I was mentally at the time not even knowing that the people who I was supposed to call my friends are picking on me, you know, in their own way. So not being able to have a sense of structure, love, uh, authentic love that's unconditional, uh, that will challenge you to be better, really put me in a downward spiral. And I still, to this day, have scars on my arm from where I would try to alleviate some of my pain. I was a cutter. And 
it's not a happy or proud moment of my life. In fact, it's something I hold very uh, close to myself. However, what I pride myself on now is that that's where I was and this is where I'm at now. And I can see that progress through the faintness of my scarring. It's not something, again, to want to aspire to have as a mark on your body or as a, a mark of trauma moving forward, but it is something to keep me in remembrance of who I was, what I'm dedicated to do in my life, and that I am here now dedicated and passionate to live to see the next day. Mm, I feel like that was just a mic drop. <laughs> wow. Hmm. I what I want to hear is thinking of from what you shared other um, young people that identify as gay or LGBTQ in rural communities and currently going through um, trying to figure out their identity trying to figure out how to express themselves, how to love themselves, um, and really carrying the weight of the world and the world's expectations um, on their shoulders. Is there anything that you specifically want to say to them? First, you are seen 100%. Your experience is validated and you deserve to live the life that you are living and it does get better. I also want to say that unless you speak up, there is not a whole lot of assistance that others may be able to provide to you. It is important that you have a safety network or just a social network around you that you feel comfortable approaching to say, I do not feel safe in this situation. Even though I had a lot of unique and varying experiences, some good, some bad, I did have those that I was able to go to and reach out and say, I need your help. I need you to look after me. For that person in my life, that was my mother. Although her health was failing, I always had the love that I needed. I never in my life, ever to this day, have to question whether or not my mom loves me. And in that, I am always fortunate and I am forever grateful. And I know that I'm one of the lucky ones in that sense. However, there are others who need to have that some, who need to have that person and that somebody in their life that they can go to. Let that be a friend or a neighbor. But again, encouraging folks to increase their social capacity to be able to have that support network to go to. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's beautiful. And so for the folks that are looking to support um, youth that identify as gay or LGBTQ, in what ways can they be more supportive and really focus on the humanness of that young person? Um, yeah. Mm. I've been, it's like I've been waiting for this question for 28 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so thank you so much. 
this time you may have to knock me off my soapbox here, but uh, I primarily want to say that when you're approaching somebody else's life, you are not the expert. You might be a therapist, you might be a counselor, you might have a degree behind your name, you might have all the education in the world, but you are not an expert in somebody else's life. They might be able to tell you about a situation that they encountered. They might be able to try and relate their personal experiences, how they felt in that moment, but there is no way that any of us are ever going to be able to replicate an experience or a traumatic past event that has happened to somebody. And the sooner that anybody and everybody in a social, uh, uh, socially involved job or career accepts that, the sooner that we're going to be able to authentically engage with our youth and young people and our most vulnerable populations and be able to assist them in the ways that they need. And I also want to emphasize that I said they need, because a lot of times the practices and procedures that are currently in play are for what states, teams, uh, case teams, or others are able to do for those that they are seeking to assist. However, it's not about you. It's not about what you're able to provide. It's about what the young person needs in their life. And if they're not able to vocalize that to you, then that's where you start. Let's learn how to communicate your needs. Let's start there. It's not always about trying to get to an end goal or fulfill an agenda or to get your thoughts and your feelings off onto the other person. If you're really here to support that young person, perhaps we should reflect on when we were a young person and uh, imagine all those times we hoped that the adults would just stop talking so that way we could get a word in edgewise. And that is how I approach our young people. I don't look at them and say, I have something to teach you. I look at them and say, here is what I have learned. How can you make it better? And let me learn from you. Because again, uh, I think the saying in child welfare is uh, uh, we're always uh, looking for our next generation, right? Because our next generation is going to be the, the workers that are coming after us. Yet we do nothing to assist our young people in that transition to take over the workforce. Instead, we hand them crap because our current foster care system is not functioning the way it should be. Or I apologize, it is functioning the way it should be. It's just having an adverse impact on those who are uh, within the system. And that for those part. who are seeking, hello? Okay. And for those who are seeking assistance, you're not going to seek it for those who you feel your assistance is going to be falling on deaf ears. And for those who are trying to assist our young people, if you're not listening to the needs of what our young people are saying, or if you're not meeting those needs, why would you expect them to continue talking about those needs? If there is no progress made, I'm going to stop talking. And if I do that as a 28 year old, I can only imagine what somebody who is 13 is going through without that emotional regularity that I'm supposed to have, which I don't, and I'll just admit that. <laughs> but it, it's just, it's, it's almost laughable, if not cryable, for how we approach our young people with trying to assist them. And I would dare say it's well-intentioned, but you know, intent versus impact, right? And so we just need to um, be more holistic in our approach and really put the social back into our social work. 
and understand um, the needs that our young people have. Yes, yes, because right now it's very stale, systemic. Mm. <laughs> stale very, white bread. Yeah. <laughs> With no seasoning, no butter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's there's so much there. And I, I'm just I just want to say thank you for sharing um so much of your vulnerability and some really key elements in your story to highlight um, for the betterment of youth. And I just think what I'm getting from what you just said is the aspect around what is really changing and shifting and transforming (laughs) versus these conversations that we're continuously um, having. And that looks like very different for for different people. And there's more so the sense of um, the individualized human approach for each individual rather than looking for what is the box to check and what is the <laughs> what what are the things that I need to do to to be okay in my policies and procedures. Right. And where's where's the human aspect of that? Where's the holistic viewpoint of that? And I think that's such a powerful um, space to be in. And in that powerful space, I would really <laughs> love to hear <laughs> about what you're up to now and the incredible work that you're doing um, on the policy level, on on the ground, you know, just, uh, just amazing things. So I really just want to give you the space to share some of those things that you're doing and the folks uh, that are listening, you'll be able to look in the show notes and learn more and also be able to connect with Eric um, through the, through those notes. So yeah, Eric, what are you up to now? Um, what, <laughs> what is your uh, impact in the world and um, what is really your vision um, for child welfare for youth moving forward? Honey, I am up to everything and more, it seems. Um, the older I get, the more I seem to pile on my plate. But uh, <laughs> primarily, oh, what was that? I said felt. <laughs> 100% felt all in the bones. <laughs> uh, I, I'm really doing my passion, I believe. And I feel I am right exactly where I need to be in life. Uh, Currently, uh, where I reside in Oregon, I am working for child welfare in the policy unit uh, where I am affecting systems change on a statewide level and being able to um, catch those little inconsistencies and those inequities uh, that I'm finding through all of our uh, rules, policies, and procedures. And it's it's really a, a phenomenal feeling to be able to engage in something that you know you're supposed to be able to do. And uh, with 10, 12 years of advocacy experience behind me, it's just uh, enforcing the, the passion that I have here. On top of that, I am still doing uh, some contracting and consultant work uh, federally providing my feedback and expertise for uh, varying regions and states or whatever uh, their needs might be. But primarily engaging youth is uh, the underlying topic. So whether that is 
our uh, cell populations or whether that is uh, engaging from a data and statistics standpoint, um, I'm still ingrained in this as if I was, you know, just starting out in my youth advisory board at a local level. So uh, on top of that, I have this huge, massive vision uh, already underway of uh, engaging the child welfare population with my new business of Spiritual Central, where we help people to come back to themselves, learn how to self-love and engage in that journey and move forward in a sense of empowerment and uh, interdependence and not independence or dependence either. Uh, and just focusing on the teachings that have helped inspire me to become the man that I am today, but also uh, to teach the world about my mentor who has taught me so much uh, and has so much more to teach others. And so I'm really excited to be able to engage not only myself uh, and my friends, but now the entire world to such a huge part of my life that's really uh, helped me to, to change and, and become uh, as strong as I am now. Yes. And yes. <laughs> and through that vision, uh, I'm just hoping that, that all of our young people know that you are validated. And even though we, as the adults in your life, may not give you the validation that you need, you know what's best for your life. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise and keep that power within yourself. And I think if I can have at least one person that comes across my path say, you know, that crazy Eric, he, he's got a <laughs> mouth on him, but he also taught me a little bit about being able to stand up for myself and just walk my own path. I may not know where I'm heading, but at least I'm walking on my own path and I'm happy. And I think that would make me feel happy. Mm, wow. You know, I just remembered that we were also on the National Policy Council uh, together. Many and... years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so many years ago. But yeah, and, and just like seeing the evolution of that. Um, and I, I mean, I'm just excited to see that spiritual element in, in this space, because I think that more folks definitely need to talk about that and have that. I think that a lot of times there's only a monolith of a specific religion or idea of what um, a spiritual practice looks like. And I think it's very important that that is starting to become diverse because that, that path doesn't work for everyone. Um, and it is also, <laughs> can be very oppressive um, in times where you are not able to connect um, to yourself and to your roots and to other elements of a human experience. So I think that that's really exciting. And I'm, I'm excited to be sharing that <laughs> in the uh, notes. So definitely check out the show notes. And uh, Eric, at this point, I really have a closing question. And that question is, in thinking about your professional and your personal experience. Um, what is one key lesson? And I know this is probably gonna be really difficult. Um, I apologize. Um, but one key lesson that has really supported your journey in discovering yourself, like your true self and um, facilitating that self-love piece. Mm. You know, it's actually easier than um, 
I think either of us thought it would be for me to answer. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I'll 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 tell an example of uh, a story my mentor told me, and a question that she ended it with, and you know, we were talking about love and, and how that uh, how that feeling can change people in relationships, right? And and how you may be approached with looking at yourself one day when you're in a relationship and just saying, am I still here? Am I the same person? You know, what's going on here? And I remember that my mentor said in that moment, I remembered something that I was told, which was one day you're going to have to make a choice. And that choice is going to be between love and happiness. And you're going to have to choose one or the other. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is, but there is a right answer. I sat there and I was like, first off, that doesn't help me. How are you going to ask me a question and not give me the answer about your right. own story? <laughs> but then I sat there and I really thought about it. And I've I've dedicated a lot of my life to the teachings and readings of Don Miguel Ruiz. And most predominantly, it's the mastery of love that really has impacted my life. Reading that book, thinking I'm going to you know, read it to get the secret on how to be the best boyfriend or best husband. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And then come <laughs> to find out he's hitting me with the truth of like, no, you got to love yourself. And I was mm. like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I'll put that book back for now. <laughs> But really in that, and I may spoil this for some folks, but for me, it was so impactful to sit there and think that love was the answer. Because for so long, I have put a value on, I need to be loved and I need to love other people. But I wasn't happy. Then when I changed my perspective and my answer, to I'm choosing happiness in this, my perspective, my entire being, my energy enhanced. That was when I felt I was more capable than anything to love other people, is when I was able to be happy within myself because I knew who I was, whether I was mad, happy, angry, joyful, vengeful, jealous, depressed, whatever it was in that day, I accepted it because that is my human experience. That is unique to me. Nobody else can feel those feelings that I am feeling in that moment for what I'm feeling them for. And in that, I will forever be happy and will forever be grateful and have an endless and abundance of love to give. And so that is kind of uh, what I will leave uh, for answering your question with is you will be forced to make a decision between love and happiness. Uh, I would dare say that there is a right answer to that. Uh, I answered happiness and have never had to look back because uh, the path ahead is just too beautiful to look away from. Mm, wow. And we will be uh, looking forward to a book from Eric Warner. No. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking to existence, got to get you, uh, got to get yes. you that book. Yes. But I am, uh, I don't know. I am, I'm just really excited that you were able to have some space. I know we had like a whole thing with like your yeah. classes and hundred <laughs> percent in our schedule, but we made it happen. And I think like you've shared so many things that listeners will be able to take away 
at least three to four things um, and apply. I hope. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so where can folks um, connect with you and, you know, find the incredible business that you're going to be launching and where can folks find that? Yes. So spiritualcentral.org uh, is the website. Uh, it is still uh, being, you know, updated daily. There are still things in the works, uh, such as we're going to be releasing workshops to be able to assist people, uh, do one-on-one coachings and, and classes. And so uh, be on the lookout for that as well. If you have any uh, trouble accessing that website, you can always reach out to me via Facebook. Uh, I can be found Eric Warner. Uh, you'll see a picture of me in a suit. Um, and <laughs> if you're not able to find me, you can always uh, just reach out uh, through uh, a Google search. Apparently, um, Google has me on lock. So, <laughs> so I will be popping up in the first couple of searches there. Yes, Googleable. <laughs> Eric well, Warner. Yeah, don't do it too much because I don't need to be number one up there. Hey, <laughs> number one, no. Um, <laughs> so I do, I do want to leave some space if you have anything else that you want to share or um, any shout outs you want to give. Um, yeah, I'll just leave some space for that as well. 100%. Uh, you had mentioned at the beginning of this call that we had met at uh, an organization for uh, <laughs> uh, for some work, right? Yeah. And so, you know, really, I want to give a shout out to all those people that we engaged with, including yourself, because we survived. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but not only that, although we may not all talk, at this time, we shared an experience and grew together to a point where, again, you and I have shared many instances together that I'm so grateful for and that I still uh, reflect back on to today. And, you know, we still have friends that we have in common that we're still meeting with, too. Um, and so that that to me warms my heart that we're all still in this work. Uh, we're all still dedicated. And there's not a whole lot that uh, would keep us from making sure that our young people are protected and, and have a, a safe space to go to. I also want to give a huge, huge, huge shout out to my mama uh, for being Aww. able to love me because I am not an easy person to love, period, whatsoever. Um, and not only has she loved me, but she has given me the strength that I needed to move forward. And she did that as a single parent. There is nothing that women cannot do. You cannot tell me otherwise because she has proven to me that women can do it all and more. And then finally, I want to talk uh, about Ema Coleman, who is my mentor, who has taught me to be strong and stand up for what I believe in, even though I might stand alone. And mm. that I am always, always worth it. And this life is mine to live. And my future is mine to grab and nobody can tell me otherwise. Mm, period. All of those women and all of those amazing people in my life have just made me more adamant about the strength that I have internally. And I want to share that with everybody. So I'm so grateful. Yes. And with that, definitely make sure to visit Eric on their website and check in on their information in the show notes. And again, Eric, just so thankful that you had some space today <laughs> to connect and share you. your brilliance and your wisdom of 28 years of existence <laughs> and counting. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.